Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, for the last six months or so, Umbortanol has been mired in a series of controversies. There's also been recent developments in the story, not least the publication of the Irish Examiner of an internal review with the board, which highlights a lot of malpractices and misgovernance. Now, this is serious stuff on a number of levels. If you've ever applied for planning permission and a decision was appealed, either for or against you, that is dealt with by the board. If you've ever objected to, for example, a large housing project in your area or infrastructure projects like, I don't know, wind farms or what have you, those type of things, Board Planola is the body that decides on that. So as such, it oversees the whole area of planning in the country. Now, as you can imagine, that means a huge amount of power and responsibility is placed on the shoulders of the board members and the staff in there. The board members have what's called a quasi-judicial function, which means they must make decisions in a completely impartial manner based on evidence before them. Like, for instance, people in the planning industry would have told me and people in academia and architects, engineers, that up until recent years, if you met a member of the board, they'd be very cautious around you in case there was any suggestion that they could be pally with somebody in the area which might in any way compromise their impartiality. That's the kind of role that these people play in society. It's one... I suppose you could say freighted with importance and responsibility. So it's vital that the public have confidence in the board in the same way that public confidence is necessary for the proper functioning of of, uh, institutions such as the courts. As I said, the reputation of the board has come tumbling down the last six months as a lot of these things have come into the light. The website The Ditch has broken a number of these stories and so has the Irish Examiner, led principally by our reporter Keenan Brennan. As things stand, the former Deputy Chair of the Board, Paul Hyde, is facing the prospect of a criminal prosecution over issues that have arisen. Uh, He resigned, of course, as a result of all this. Meanwhile, as I said at the outset, the most recent development is the completion of a confidential internal review that has highlighted a lot of the malpractice issues. I was fortunate enough to get my hands on a copy of that review and... We've been publishing the Irish Examiner for the last week or so, the details of it. And, you know, it's highlighted some very serious issues. It also revealed for the first time that the chair of the board, Dave Walsh, had commissioned a separate inquiry into the director of planning, Rachel Kenny. This again related to allegations of potential conflicts of interest on Miss Kenny's part. Now, Dave Walsh issued a statement where he confirmed the inquiry and he said that Miss Kenny was found to have no case to answer. But I have to say, and I've written this in the examiner myself, further questions still remain about that whole process. So that's where it's at right now. And just to try and, I suppose, streamline things and hopefully simplify them and and just give a measure of what exactly is going on, I got a hold of the Irish Examiner's Keenan Brennan, who, as I said, has been leading much of the coverage on this story. Keenan, you're very welcome. How are you doing, Mick? 
Keenan, uh, before we get into it, actually, you're you're uh, this week you're out in Lisbon at the Web Summit, which is uh, another uh, kettle of fish altogether. Tell me, um, give us a brief sketch of what that's like out there. It's basically the most enormous event I've ever been to. Um, almost overwhelming in its scale, to be honest with you. It is, and given it left Ireland under a cloud, obviously it was based there between 2009 and 2015. It's been in Lisbon ever since. You might wonder, would it ever come home? Having seen the scale of it here, I, I don't know what city could take it, let alone Dublin. Uh, it covers what I would say is the equivalent of at least 10 RDSs. And that's not counting uh, a stadium with 14,000 capacity as well. It is enormous. It takes about 25 minutes to walk from one side to the other. It's full of 70,000 people. And it's simply, it's a, bit, it's a bit of an assault on the senses, I would say. But at the same time, while it's, it's a networking and it's a business event and investors are walking around who have an awful lot of money, it's primarily an event about money. It's also quite a friendly one because I guess it's a, it's a situation where people need to do business and you do business basically by making your best first impression. And that means that of every person in attendance, they will all happily sit there and listen to your story, if that makes sense. Now, the problem with that is, as a reporter, you could just end up getting sidelined on 10,000 separate occasions inside an hour. But I mean, it's honestly, um, at brass tacks, I would have to say it's a phenomenal achievement. And wh- whatever people may think of... Um, of Paddy Cosgrave, uh, the, uh, the as he calls himself, the found, uh, founder and CEO, um, to pull off an event like that is is no mean feat. It's, it really isn't. Yeah, that's certainly the impression you get, Keenan. As you say, Paddy Cosgrave is, as he describes himself, the founder. I think there's been various um, legal actions uh, from some of those who, who were with him initially, but nothing has come of that. But it is phenomenal achievement. And it segues nicely into what we're talking about because... Paddy Cosgrave also, and I I think he's been pretty public about this, has a relationship with the Ditch website, a a relationship to the extent, I think, that he he funds it or or he certainly contributes to the funding of it. And the Ditch, to be fair, has uncovered some serious stories in the last year or two, not least uh, this one in terms of board planola. Now, Keenan, I suppose just to start, might wait, to start might be if we just look at this internal review because that covers a lot of the stuff that has been coming out since, and this review was commissioned by the chairperson once these allegations started tumbling out. Effectively, it was to a large extent to check the veracity of the stories that were appearing in the Ditch and in the Irish Examiner, and to do that, three of the most senior personnel in the board. Uh, went away, they got 300 files dating over the last four years and they examined them for all these various issues and they found a number of things in relation to that. Keenan, just I suppose to touch on some of them, what do you think are the more serious things that have come out of this? I think probably the most serious one is the one that you've been reporting on yourself, Mick, and that's to, to do with uh, Onboard Planola's Director of Planning, Rachel Kenny, and how she apparently displayed a conflict of interest by being involved in planning applications involving um, her husband or ex-husband. I don't think that's uh, entirely clear at present. Now, how this was dealt with in the internal report, as you've noted yourself, is that a further report, an external one, was commissioned by Mr. Walsh into uh, this situation involving uh, Rachel Kenny. And it came back and said she had no case to answer. And it said she had no case to answer due fundamentally to, I think, uh, 
to quote materially inaccurate uh, media reports. Now, if you yourself hadn't uh, reported on the internal report, we would never have known that this investigation happened. We don't know what the terms of reference for were. But fundamentally, it seems that she has done something very, very similar to what the, de- the now former deputy chair, Paul High, did. Now, he's lost his job. He's facing a criminal investigation. In noting what happened with the director of planning, it just suggests why is it one rule for, for her and one rule for the for the deputy chair? It just doesn't smack as being uh, everybody being treated the same way. And then that makes you think that, well, is Mr. High just a sacrificial lamb to try and keep everything as it was? Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, w- I think that's probably the most significant thing that came out of it. But other things were all corroborated, including much of our own reporting. They showed that inspectors' reports were frequently being altered at the behest of the board. They showed that the board was uh, routinely going below its quorum of three members in order to make decisions. Uh, they showed, I had reported that I think like an absolutely inordinate amount of mass decisions were being made by uh, Paul Hyde and a fellow uh, board member, Michelle Fagan. I had looked at 100 decisions. It looked at 147 and corroborated everything we were saying, basically that where inspectors were suggesting that telecommunications masks shouldn't be built, they were basically saying, overruling their own inspectors and saying, no, they should. And that requires investigation, if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I'm going to come to that in a minute. Just first of all, to deal with the Rachel Kenny aspect of things, a couple of things there, Keenan, that you touched on, that just to, to add to it. In terms of the comparisons with Paul Hyde, on one level, I think they're absolutely valid. On another, it should be pointed out, there were a number of more, perhaps, allegations of this nature against Mr. Hyde than ever was the case with Rachel Kenny. Um, but there are other parallels, I think that's fair to say. Also, Mr. Hyde, as a board member, would have a slightly different status to that of Rachel Kenny, who's an employee. But the overall thrust of, of, of what you were saying is absolutely correct that we have in one instance the Minister for Housing appointing a senior counsel to conduct an extensive investigation into allegations of conflict of interest of a board member. We have then in this instance the chair of the board unbeknownst to the public or as I have established the vast majority of people within board Planola commissioning a report into similar allegations against Rachel Kenny, uh, there being nothing about that until we saw it in the internal review where it was referenced, in which it should be stated. The three people conducting the internal review were told to stay away from this. The chairman has commissioned something separate, which speaks for itself. And as you say, there's a lot of questions arising around that. And one of the interesting aspects to it I found in looking into it is that the Minister for Housing in relation to this doesn't really want to know about it. The response I got from the department was it's a staff matter, it's from board Planola um, and therefore nothing to do with the Minister, which I think is quite astounding in the current environment whereby in the terms of a housing crisis and the requirement of a functioning board planola, that he doesn't seem to think this is his issue. Now, the other things, and we'll just touch, Keenan, you were the one who first published this in relation to communication mass. And this is something I think people around the country will be well able to tune into because an awful lot will will have um, experienced these masts for telecommunications one form or another being raised in their communities. Walk us through that and what what should happen and what did happen in relation to these cases. Well, so you're dealing with a, a specific kind of mast application. It's for, it's basically as Ireland has become more mobile broadband dependent, um, the telecoms companies have needed to boost signals in areas. 
And that means that mast applications have been flying into onboard Planola en masse. Now, the problem is these things under uh, planning regulations are supposed to be kept away from um, settled areas, from schools, from, you know, areas of commerce, that sort of thing. And that doesn't particularly seem to have been happening. Uh, I think you touched on it uh, in one instance yourself uh, as regards the community in Sligo and uh, the, their actions against the mast. Now, what happened was I had gotten a tip that uh, the board and specifically Mr. Hyde had a trend of overruling their own inspectors. So what happens is an application goes in, an inspector looks at it, visits the site, makes a judgment, gives, it, um, gives a recommendation to the board, and then they decide upon it. And everything indication I had was that in nine out of ten of these cases, the board will agree with its own inspector. They'll disagree in a minimal of cases that wasn't happening with the masks instead that almost in like four out of five cases where uh, the inspector was suggesting that no mass should go in uh paul hyde and it was almost uh predominantly himself and michelle fagan were overruling what their own inspectors were saying and that's that smacks of craziness because the inspector is the person who has ruled who has looked at the application in detail whereas the board is just making a final judgment and these, these decisions, what you're seeing then is you're getting this mast, maybe, say, 20 metres in height. It can go up in the space of a weekend in a community, and it's really, it's, it's really affecting people. They're basically, it's, uh, it's affecting the, the quality of the, the scenery of the locality. It's, uh, it's going in beside their, their living areas, beside where they ch- send their children to school. And in many, many cases, people are up in arms. And I dealt in one case... Uh, out in Tala, where a mast went in, and on board Planola basically folded its decision. But the mast was already there, and it's going to be there for at least a year because the telecoms company isn't budging and it's saying, well, it's going to take us at least uh, nine months to do anything about that, and you're going to have to reach a settlement with us in court. And of course, once something is in court, it can drag and drag and drag. And that case, I think, is just like emblematic of what's going on across the country because these masts are popping up everywhere, and uh, people are. Maybe they would have been disgruntled before about it, but now that they see what Onboard Planola has been up to in relation to them, they're absolutely furious. Yeah, and very right. And uh, that does get to the heart of it. And and in terms of the composition of the boards, now there there was... Prov- Normally, you'd have at least three three members of the board. You might have about... When it's full complement, you'd have, I think it's nine or ten members of the board. And in most cases, three of them will sit and make a decision. In 2009, legislation was brought in that said in, in some cases, and I think the masks probably come under this, two-person boards can do it. Now, there was a lot of controversy about that, people suggesting that could be an issue, you should really have three people. Notwithstanding that, what you are supposed to do is that you're normally, in terms of these type of cases, it's supposed to be spread among all the members. So, for example, you've nine members of the board a, B might sit one day, C, D might sit another, E, F another and what have you and mix it up to ensure that there's no group think and that the, the, everything is done really according to the way it should be done. The big problem here, as you reported, Keenan, was that in the majority of cases, and it enumerates them in this internal review in terms of the files they've examined, in 111 out of 147 cases, two individuals sat on that deciding board. Those two were, as you said, even though they're not named the report, Paul Hyde and Michelle Fagan. 
Interestingly, in the remainder of the cases, so that's uh, 47 minus 11, 36, in the remaining 36 cases, there was an even spread of other board members. Now, there's something peculiar about that, and it does raise a question as to why the same individuals on just two-person boards would be making these decisions. And put on top of that, as you said and reported, in the majority of those cases, they actually went against the inspector's recommendation. That's definitely a very serious issue. And there's no sign of anything being done to address it yet. No, it's just been acknowledged. And uh, the ditch, to its credit, went uh, one further on this and investigated some of the Hyde and Fagan decisions. And they found that they had made 26 decisions as a two-person quorum in one afternoon, which is just bonkers. But it goes to one of the, the key problems when all, when all these reports were being commissioned is how are these, how are these casings, cases being allocated? How was it that out of 100 cases, the 100 cases that I looked at, in 78 of them, Michelle Fagan uh, was on the board. In 71... Paul Hyde was on the board. And in all of those cases, pretty much himself and Michelle Fagan were involved and the vast majority of them were as a two-man board. How does that happen? That's, that should be a red flag. And it should be a fairly blatant red flag because surely the decisions are being noted. And yet, as you say, while the internal report, which Dave Walsh said that he would publish pending legal advice, and now, well, I mean, what, what's in it is out there, but it's still, it doesn't look like it's going to see the light of day at present. All the report seems to do is acknowledge these issues. It doesn't really say what's going to be done about them. And... You mentioned the Minister for, for Housing there uh, a while back who has said that, you know, change must come and that he has an action plan. But I think in the case of uh, Dara O'Brien, it's um, by someone's actions, should you know them, not their words. Because a few months ago he went to, so, I mean, one of the key ways of uh, objecting to onboard planal decisions is judicial review in the courts. And the government moved very, very quickly a few months ago to make access to, uh, to that avenue a bit, more uh, a bit more difficult to get which doesn't seem to be a proper response to a planning crisis. That just seems to be to make it more difficult for people to point out issues. And then more recently, he said that people shouldn't be, last month in October, he said that people shouldn't be objecting. We need to, we need to stop this. And I'm like, well, that, that's, that leads to a conclusion that with Paul Hyde gone, that is he just seen as, you know, as the pound of flesh to, uh, to use a, maybe a poor analogy that to, to, to keep the public happy, to say that everything is sorted now because... If you're looking at that internal report, things have not been sorted. Things are, things are still very, there are very, very serious questions to be asked. Yeah, and a very good point you make there, Keenan, in terms of um, the approach uh, of the government in terms of making it more difficult for people to pursue judicial reviews of decisions. You know, w one can argue about that on one level, but when you overlay that with the reality that the major planning body, Umbor Planola, apparently is not functioning properly and has a number of issues which have not been dealt with in any comprehensive way, that really brings home how, um, how, how well, how certainly unusual the, the, such an approach is if you're interested in, in good planning. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to turn to one other element to that internal review that I think is extremely serious. And that is that um, the three individuals, and remember now, folks, these three individuals are employees themselves. They're three of the most senior personnel within Unbor Planola. And there's a long tradition, I think, in an awful lot of institutions of the internal reviewer, internal report being a whitewash. I think I, I can safely say that from experience. But I can say, having seen this one, this actually is in danger of giving the internal review a good name because it's actually a, a very comprehensive one that doesn't dodge any of the issues. But... As I was saying, the one that I think is really serious is that it found that in a number of cases, inspectors' reports were changed in substantive ways after intervention from board members. Now, just to let point out there, as, as Keenan pointed out earlier, uh, the inspector compiles a report based on, on site visits and compiling all the environmental, traffic, etc., all those reports. So they have a good idea what's at issue. And they present that to the board. And in 90% of cases, the board accept it. What has arisen here is that a board member who may be sitting on that case approaches the uh, inspector in some capacity before a final decision is made and asks the inspector to change their reports. Now, I've made a comparison. It's, it's not directly, but it is similar. Take, for instance, aside in a court there, you have a guard presenting evidence to a, to a district judge on a relatively minor matter, whatever, and the judge decides they're in public court. This would be similar to, in that scenario, outside the court before he hears the case, a judge pulling the guard aside and say, I want you to say A, B and C rather than what his specific evidence is. Keenan, that's a very serious scenario. It's desperately serious because if all of this process has been aimed at restoring public confidence in the board, how can public have confidence in a board making thousands of decisions where any one of those decisions can have been altered for reasons that they don't understand? And that had nothing to do with the inspector's own opinions, but was just shown that their their inspection wasn't independent, that they were basically told what to say. And... It, also, it comes back slightly to something I saw in some of the mass decisions, which is where the inspector would say one thing. If you, if you look at the decision, decision itself and say that uh, this thing would not, um, would not fit in with, uh, with the, the, uh, the feel of the area and uh, you know, the overall uh, planning milieu, and then the board member in the, their decision would basically take that sentence and flip it. So instead of saying it wouldn't, they'd say it would. It's, if everything is at the whim of a board member who's not judging upon what their experts are telling them, but on what they want to see as being the final result. How can the public have confidence in that? Because, I mean, I, I don't like to use the word corrupt, but I mean, it just, it doesn't, it's certainly, it's, it's far, far, far from best practice. And maybe the public at large might be a little bit more ignorant of the intri intricacies of some of the issues that are going on with on board Planola. But if you were cognizant of the fact that this has been going on, and also remember, Mick, this report was not supposed to see the light of day and Mr. Walsh did not react well to it, to it ending up in the Irish Examiner under your byline. If public confidence is paramount, they're going about restoring it the wrong way. Yeah, and just in terms of the leak of the report, I have to say as well that um, Mr. Walsh announced last week that he was going to have an investigation into the leak as if this was the major issue rather than the content of the thing. And he updated that statement on Tuesday 
where he said uh, following a digital investigation in Umbord Planola, he's satisfied the leak didn't emerge there. Well, whoopee, like, does it matter a damn where the leak came from? What matters is what was in the report, and that is pretty damning. And there were other elements in there too. Uh, one other aspect to it, just to touch on, Keenan, before we come to the, the separate report into the Director of Planning, and that is an unusually for a report like this, there was reference to the the team who are investigating, and this now, folks, is the Chief Officer, the Head of Human Resources and the Director of Corporate Affairs. Those were the three people who conducted this internal review. They reported that they had got from a credible source um, a, a correspondence that suggested there was what was described as a romantic relationship within the organisation which could impact on decision-making. And they felt this was worth putting in and they've said that there needs to be some um, processes to ensure that this type of thing does not arise again. And just again, to put that in a small bit of context, it would be similar, for example, if you had in the local authority, the chief executive of the local authority in a relationship with one of the uh, main councillors there or in a court, uh, a senior councillor who appears before a, a particular high court judge, for instance, frequently, them being in a relationship, it gives rise to the possibility of impinging hugely on issues like impartiality. But um, it was interesting, Keenan, that they felt that was serious enough to include in a very sober report such as this. This is it. Now, like you said, this was an internal report and ordinarily you would expect internal reports to, um, well, maybe not be as harsh on uh, on the subjects as as something externally commissioned would be. Now, obviously, uh, workplace liaisons are far from rare and for the most part, they're not anyone's business. But if they can impact on the decision making in, a, in an authority as important as on board Planola, and I think the use of the word credible is important because... Once they've used that, they're basically saying this has happened and this is an issue and this is something that needs to be sorted so that it doesn't happen again. Although they don't actually say that, but it's in there. So if you're going to read between the lines, that has to be the case. And you can also read into it. How was it allowed to happen in the first place? How how can it be that in especially in a country in Ireland where planning is planning and property are so unbelievably important to our nation's psyche? How can you have it? that decisions are being made which could be which are being left open to perceptions of bias because something like this is going on it's just it smacks of um last july um mr walsh uh, appeared before uh, the public accounts committee and he was asked basically about um the the conduct of board members and he said it has to be taken on on in good faith that people are behaving as they're supposed to be that doesn't seem like a very powerful oversight regime and it can't have been that difficult to find out if a three team, uh, a three man investigating team at the top of board Planola was able to to winkle this out. You'd have to imagine that it may have been common knowledge of what was going on. Yeah, and the other thing to add there is that um, it should be said in terms of board Planola, like you go back over the years, and we've had a great unturning of uh, practices and malpractice here, go back to the economic collapse and, and how that reflected on governance of the state, how it reflected on banks, how it reflected on those in development industry and all of that. And we, we saw huge issues, their reputations to a greater or lesser extent fell. The one body 
that survived in terms of its reputation through that building boom and all, which they'd have been central to, wasn't board planola. And I think it's fair to say, and, and most people who've any knowledge of the planning area will tell you, that they were a body really known for integrity at the time and well respected in general, notwithstanding people are going to be disappointed with rulings, but everybody accepted Umbor Planola's bona fides. And it's only in the last, well, it would appear three or four years, four or five years maybe, that we see now that this has changed and this sort of stuff has come to the surface. But the big problem would still seem to be that there is a reluctance to address it in its entirety. And we've seen, Keenan, that the, the Minister for Housing now, even before this internal review was came out, had published a blueprint for the way forward. There's an element to that that smacks of, OK, folks, nothing more to see here. Let's move on. Exactly. Show's over. <laughs> it's a, it's like the naked gun meme of an exploding factory and somebody standing in front of it <laughs> and saying, nothing to see here, folks. Move along. And now that all three reports are out, I guess we'll see if that strategy, and it feels like a strategy, is going to pay off, or will the stories keep coming? And if they do keep coming, I think out of this, Paul Hyde has gone. Some of the board members probably may have may have been feeling uh, a bit squeamish over the last few months as as to their own um, as to their own positions. I think different people have different opinions maybe on whether a position is is tenable or not but if the stories do keep on coming and as you were reporting this morning Mick I I think I saw that uh, the planning inspector unions aren't one bit happy about the fact that the internal report hasn't been published and if they're if the unions aren't happy then that means that there's there's disgruntlement and more may come and if that's the case what's going to happen then will the minister of housing take a hand will the chair take a hand but uh, it seems at present that the position is this is now done. It is time to move on. But after all the damage that's come out, is it possible to move on? Should we? Yeah, very good question. As you mentioned, force of the trade union. And, and, and this highlights another aspect of the thing. And that is, I think there's about 170 people, I think I made that right, working in the organisation. The vast majority of whom are like all people in the working in the public sector. The vast majority of them, they want to do their job properly and, and you know, same as any workforce, they're dedicated to doing it. And particularly those in the inspectorate who are at the front line of this. Because an awful lot of this is to do with issues around inspectors, how they were treated, uh, what pressures were put on them, all of that. And the Assistant Secretary General of Force of the Trade Union representing inspectors and other employees has written to the board saying that they want the internal review and the inquiry into the director of planning published and that they would not accept, and this is the quote, any attempt to whitewash any wrongdoing. They said that working conditions for their members have become intolerable in the current environment. And very interestingly, they also added that their members within Umbor Planola, and this is the quote, no longer have confidence in specific members of management who may be acting to protect their own positions or the position of certain individuals at the expense of the organisation. Now, as I said earlier, um, Dave Walsh, the chairman, has issued a statement saying he will not publish it because he writes here, there's the risk of prejudicing any possible follow-on actions or investigations arising from the review. Well, I'd be very interested to know what form any investigations into the review is going to take that could give rise to any follow-on actions, which presumably, you know, there's a hint there that you could be dealing with either industrial relations issues or 
issues that might involve conflicts in the law. But how that is going to come about, I don't know, is anyone's guess. Keenan, that seems to be where we're at. Um, do you sense or do you have any confidence that things can move on from here? Um, I don't know. Uh, how how things tend to go with state bodies is that the, I think the, the civil service mantra is always that time 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 heals everything or time maybe basically things seep to the back of people's memory a little bit i suspect there may be a little bit further to go on this one um it's funny actually mix just something that um we you hadn't uh, i don't think we mentioned uh, regarding the report into the director of planning was who carried it out yeah. um that it was that it was commissioned from a from a human resources firm um and i think you also said that the terms of reference of that investigation weren't um were uh, haven't been made clear, nor were the suggestions that uh, materially inaccurate reporting uh, on the part of the ditch. We have to presume because they were the ones who initially reported the Rachel Kenny story, and those accusations were never actually put to the ditch themselves. There, there's a lot of questions about that process to be answered as well. Um, can we move on? I don't know. I have a feeling Ambotlanol has been in big trouble in terms of legals in the last few years, specifically to do with the 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 beleaguered strategic housing development uh, process where their legal fees have doubled in recent years and they have been losing cases hand over fist. Now, some of that has to go into the Department of Housing because it's their process and Umbor Planola was just implementing it. But if legal cases go absolutely through the roof now, and I mean, God, if, if I had a mask put up beside me and I had the money or if I could crowdsource the money, I think, that is, I think that's something where you could end up seeing uh, an increase in legal actions being taken. If that gets out of hand, then you would have to say that the person who carries the brunt of responsibility for it is the chair, because who else could it be? And that that might be one way that uh, it develops. But certainly, uh, as you said, the approach at present seems to be nothing more to see here. Uh, I think there might be a a bit more to run in this one, though. I think you could be right, Keenan, And you're right in terms of the chair of Borpenol. I would also have to say that the Minister for Housing has certain responsibility. Understandably, on one level... The minister is desperate for Umbor Planola to get to a point where it can function properly again because we're in the midst of a housing crisis. It is the number one issue in the country and you need a functioning appeals board that the public have confidence in in order for, for house building as, as it's required to, to get underway properly and to ensure that it is done so within the, the bounds of good planning. But... Merely saying nothing more to see here, folks. We're going to move on from this. There's a long history of that not working. Keenan, Keenan Brennan, thanks very much for talking to us today. Thanks a million, Mick. Cheers. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Fernan. Thank you, folks, for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. Take it handy in the meantime. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, 
and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.